The following sermon is brought to you by Cornerstone Baptist Church. For more information on our teaching and preaching ministry, visit us online at cornerstoneorlando.org. Title of our sermon this morning, The Exercise, Exercise Faith and Fight, Romans chapter 6, particularly verses 11 through 14. Well, welcome. We're glad you're here. And we are back now in our verse-by-verse consideration of Paul's epistle to the church at Rome. And under our purview this morning, Romans chapter 6, 11 through 14, in a sermon we've entitled, Exercise Faith and Fight. Exercise Faith and Fight. So I'd like to begin our sermon this morning uh, with a question. Who do you think you are? (laughs) Who do you think you are? With particular reference uh, to the one who created you, Who do you think that you are? How is it that you relate to him? How is it that you are in relationship to him? What defines the nature of your relationship? Who are you to him and who is he to you? Your relationship to him has everything to do with your relationship to his son. Who are you in relationship to him? Who are you in relationship to the Son of God? What defines or determines your relationship to him, the mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus? If you claim to be a Christian, do you realize that your answer to those questions can either fuel or forfeit your pursuit of godliness in the Christian life? It will either motivate, drive, fuel, your pursuit of godliness, or it will undermine, stunt, stunt (laughs) your pursuit of godliness. Your understanding will either be the foundation on which you live the Christian life, or it will be the shifting sands on which your house eventually falls. What a man knows will determine what a man believes, and what a man believes will determine how he lives. Who we are, who we understand ourselves to be in relationship to God through his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, is not simply a matter of fact. It's not simply a matter of opinion. It's a matter of faith. Such that what we know and what we understand and then what we believe and embrace and all of that through faith will determine how it is that we live. It will determine our conduct. Paul says, I have been crucified with the Lord Jesus Christ, a fact that he embraces through faith, right? It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, fact. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. In other words, Paul says, I live by trusting him that these things are true of me. He is the one who loved me, fact, and gave himself for me, fact. What would your life look like What would your life look like if you truly and fully lived in the embrace of these biblical truths? If you really believe these things, what would your life look like? There is a content of faith that informs and fuels and motivates and drives the life lived by faith. True faith is always based in fact rather than in fiction. True faith is fueled and driven and motivated by the content of our faith. To live the Christian life to the glory of God is to live the Christian life in light of glorious realities. Those realities applied in the mind and heart by the Spirit of God and embraced in the inner man through faith. Apart from that, you're not living the Christian life. You're living some weakened form of it or not at all. An informed faith is the foundation of Christian living. That's a point we need to let sink in. An informed faith is the foundation for Christian living. That informed faith, applied in the heart and mind by the Spirit of God, by the grace of God, according to his mercies and his loving kindness toward us. An informed faith is the foundation of our Christian life. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, listen. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. Paul said, we're going to pray for you, this church at Coloss, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. He's praying that those members of that church would be filled 
with the knowledge of God's will, with all wisdom, and filled with spiritual understanding. To what end? That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, and being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. You don't get one without the other. You see how those two things are connected, right? Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, which comes from his spirit, for all patience and long-suffering with joy. You can't have one without the other. That's why I cringe. Every time someone says to me, listen, I don't care about theology. I just want to be a good mom, right? I don't care about theology. I just want to be a good brother. Listen, you being a better mom has everything to do Everything to do with the light of the knowledge of the, of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And that's shed abroad in your heart by the Spirit. That light produces heat. Do you see? That light produces heat. Our text this morning, Romans chapter 6, and in particular verses 11 through 14, our text this morning is a charge given by the Apostle Paul for us to live in response to that light. It's a charge for Christians to think clearly and to believe rightly about who they are in union with the Lord Jesus Christ. Embracing those facts, embracing those glorious realities through faith, right? It is a charge then for Christians to live by faith in dependence upon the Spirit and in accord with those glorious realities. Paul has been laboring in the letter so far to lay the foundation for our understanding. And now, the foundation for our understanding, to this point having been laid, Paul now, it becomes the foundation on which we are to live, becomes the foundation on which we are to conduct ourselves. In preparation now for four admonitions that comprise our text this morning, Paul has now concluded his explanation of the Q&A that began in verse 1, And the subject that has occupied our attention now through the bulk of chapter 6, and that is this, that it is, or the question is this, is it consistent or even possible for a Christian who has been justified by faith alone in Christ alone to continue living in an unbroken or unchallenged pattern or lifestyle of sin? Is it possible for a Christian to continue living in sin? Is it possible? Paul poses the question in this way, verse 1. What shall we say then to all of these truths that we've been learning? What shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Our answer, certainly not. May it never be. God forbid. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? In other words, based upon what we know, based upon what we understand about the nature and the scope of our redemption, The notion of someone placing faith in Jesus Christ for salvation from sin and then continuing to live in sin is simply absurd. It's an absurd notion. It would be entirely inconsistent with the nature of what God has provided for us in union with his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. It would be inconsistent for any genuine Christian to to come to the Lord Jesus Christ to be delivered from his sin only in order that he might continue to live in his sin. Do you see? Incongruous. It's simply, it's not only unimaginable, it's not only absurd, it's impossible. In explanation of his answer, Paul then grounds the Christian's breach with sin. He grounds that breach in his union with the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a union that he illustrates through the symbolism or the imagery of baptism. Baptism illustrates our union with Jesus Christ in his death, right? When someone is plunged under the water, it's an illustration or it's an image of our death to sin, our death to self in Jesus Christ. So that just as Jesus Christ died to sin once for all at the cross, we died a spiritual death to sin, didn't we? Through faith, united to Jesus Christ, we died a spiritual death to sin in him. And we died to the power of, or the dominion of sin in our union with him. Now, if we died with Christ, verse 8, then we believe that we shall also live with Jesus Christ. So baptism then is also an illustration of our union with Christ in his resurrection, when the person is raised from the water, and we say raised to walk in newness of life. 
So that just as Christ has been bodily, physically raised from the dead, we too ourselves are spiritually raised from the dead, from being dead in trespasses and sins, we are made alive to God in union with Christ Jesus our Lord and raised for the purpose that we should walk in newness of life. Our old man crucified, our new man raised to new life, free from the dominion of sin. Amen? Now, Paul takes all those facts. These are facts that have encompassed several sermons now up to this point, only in in Romans chapter 6, but also through the rest of the book. Paul then takes those facts, those glorious realities, these truths that you and I need to commit to our hearts and minds that we need to understand, and then Paul applies them, applies the facts that we have learned, and he connects that great theology that provided the answer to our original question. He connects that theology now to four imperatives, four commands for the Christian, four admonitions that when obeyed from the heart, in the power of the Spirit, they ensure the outcome. I want us to be convinced of that this morning by faith as well. Can a, can a Christian continue to live in an unbroken pattern of sin? Absolutely not. The notion is simply absurd, and that eventuality is ensured by the theology that Paul has just taught us, okay? It would be absurd. That's these four imperatives found in verses 11 through 13, They're going to be the subject of our study this morning. Our section of text then closes upon a glorious promise. And that glorious promise we're going to look more fully at next week. Based upon all that is true by virtue of our union with Jesus Christ, sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Now, the first of four imperatives is to be found in verse 11. Verse 11. Based upon all that we've discussed... Likewise, then, you also reckon yourselves, consider yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Think with me. Verse 11 constitutes the exercise of faith. Verse 11 constitutes the exercise of faith. Verses 12 through 13 represent the fight. Okay, exercise, faith, and fight. That's where the title of our sermon comes from. Now, the admonition for the Christian, based upon an understanding of our union with Jesus Christ, the admonition for the Christian who is raised to walk in newness of life is this, exercise, faith, and fight. Exercise, faith, and fight. Without a truth-informed faith, there can be no effective fight. Without a truth-informed faith, Your fight is futile. How much more alliteration can we pack in there? (laughs) Without the effective fight of faith, there will be no fruit to holiness. (laughs) The exercise of faith, exercise faith and fight. The exercise of faith is described in verse 11. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. Do you see that that is a matter of faith? Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Likewise, you also, Paul begins, in the same manner then, according to what we have just talked about, you, Paul is saying, you must receive and believe the very same facts to be true of you. Think about with me all that we've learned so far in chapter 6. Chapter 6, all of that glorious truth, you now must apply those truths to yourself as a matter of faith and receive and believe those facts to be true of you. You must believe that what Paul has explained in verses 3 through 10 is true of you personally. It's a matter of faith. If you are to live in the newness of life that we've been raised in Christ to live, you must, as a foundation of that fight, you must believe these truths. It's not merely a matter of fact. It's not merely that they are truth, are truths. It is a matter of faith. Those truths need to be applied to you. Do you believe, do you believe that you have been united with the Lord Jesus Christ in the likeness of his death, such that you, through faith, having been born again by the power of his spirit, that you have died to sin and self in him? Do you believe that you have been united to Jesus Christ in the likeness of his death? Do you believe that you also are united to him in the likeness of his resurrection? 
that as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, so also you have been raised from being dead in trespasses and sins, raised to new life in him. Do you believe that your old man has been crucified? That he was crucified, that the body of your sin, the content of your sin, if you will, may be done away with. That you should no longer be slaves of sin? Do you believe that you have been set free from sin? Now listen, whether you would assert these things on the basis of experienced evidence or not is not the issue at this point. Now hear what I'm saying with that. That's an important point. Whether or not you would assert these things on the basis of evidence or the basis of experience, that's not the issue at this point. Do you believe these things to be true as a matter of faith? When you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, he is your Lord, he is your Savior. You believe that you've been saved through faith in Jesus Christ, by the grace of God, through faith in Jesus Christ. You believe that you are justified through faith in him, declared righteous and in right standing to God, reconciled to him. Believing these things, do you also believe, as a matter of faith, what Paul has taught in Romans chapter 6, that you indeed are dead to sin in him, that you've died to that old man, that you've died to the power of sin, that you've been raised in him to walk in newness of life. Do you believe it to be true? In fact, do you believe, as a matter of faith, all that Paul has discussed in the book of Romans at this point. The total depravity of fallen man. Do you believe that nothing good dwells in you? That is in your flesh. Do you believe in the justification of fallen sinners through faith alone in Christ alone? There's nothing that you contribute to your right standing with God. Do you believe federal headship that as you were fallen in Adam, so too through faith in Jesus Christ, you can be united to him, imputed with his righteousness and raised to walk in him. That Christ has died on the cross bearing the wrath of God in your place, the wrath that you deserve. You believe that he was raised from the dead to die no more and that you will be raised eternally in him. Do you realize that all that has come before are assertions of truth that has led us, that have led us to this very command, the first command in the entire book. Did you realize that? To this very command, in chapter 6, verse 11, all that theological understanding, all that we've learned is now applied to you personally. Likewise, you also. Do you see? So allow this truth of your standing, this truth of your status with God through faith, allow this understanding of who you are in union with Jesus Christ to now inform your convictions to now inform your faith, to now strengthen your resolve. And verse 11, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you're not able to do that, then you're going to be limited. You're going to be stunted or impotent in the Christian life, in your battle against sin in your effort to mortify the flesh, in your pursuit of godliness. Christians, professing Christians today, sit under or they submit themselves to weak or anemic preaching and teaching. They have little or no understanding of the great truths, the glorious truths that provide the content or the ground of our faith. And then we wonder in perplexed amazement that there are so many weak or anemic Christians. <laughs> stop trying to nourish your soul on cotton candy. Right? Or stop trying to nourish your soul on nothing at all. When you avoid an understanding of these glorious truths or when those truths are neglected, we have to take responsibility. In large part, that's our own doing, right? There are churches that preach and teach the truth. And yet, how many years did we sit in those places because we were comfortable or could care less? <laughs> Most of us unconverted at that time. We have got to move on to meet. You've got to spend time 
studying and learning and coming to an understanding of and a knowledge of sound theology. Who God is, the excellence of his person, who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ has done and how those things that he has done have been applied to us through faith by God's grace, right? According to to what God's word has revealed. We have to know these things. We have to know him and the power of his resurrection, right? As Paul would say, counting everything else to be rubbish, We have to know these things that we might live in accord with that truth. That truth applied to your understanding, applied to your mind, applied to your heart by the Spirit of God will work itself out in what you believe and how you live. It'll work itself out in your Christian life. In verse 11, Paul begins to set before us a path that we as Christians are to walk. The measures that we are to take in this matter of remaining sin in the life of a Christian. If you haven't noticed, you and I have not been glorified yet, right? (laughs) Obviously evident, right? Not been glorified yet. The life of a Christian is a life of resistance to sin. The life of a Christian is a life of spiritual warfare. It's a battle. And this, Paul lays out a path for us for how we are to wage holy warfare with indwelling sin. This is how we are to fight. This is how we are to be victorious. The first step involves the exercise of faith. The exercise of faith. Now, Paul states the matter both negatively and positively in verse 11. Notice, verse 1 stated negatively, reckon yourselves, consider yourselves as a matter of faith, Right? Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin by virtue of your union with Jesus Christ, by virtue of those truths that Paul has taught us. Right? Consider yourselves dead to sin. Stated positively, second, reckon yourselves or consider yourself as a matter of faith to be alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Two truths, very important to understand. The word reckon involves taking certain facts into consideration, right? Acknowledging circumstances. The word reckon involves making a calculation based upon facts and then coming to a sound judgment concerning those facts. So we are then, in reckoning ourselves to be dead indeed to sin, we are to consider our Lord's death to sin on our behalf and we are to consider our death to sin in union with him. We are to receive these things as true, and on that basis, we are to render our judgment. I am indeed dead to sin. You see how that works? Reckon does not involve an act of blind faith. It's not simply a blind faith. Well, he says, I am, so I am. We're not called to blind faith. Our faith is an informed faith. Our faith is a faith that is grounded in glorious realities, glorious truths. It is a matter of informed faith. We are to consider the Lord's death to sin on our behalf. We are to consider our death to sin in union with him. We are to receive these things as true. And on the basis of those truths, on the basis of those realities, and all that those realities entail, we are to render our judgment. I am dead indeed to sin. I am to meditate on these truths as a matter of faith. I am to ponder them. I'm to seek to understand them. I'm to roll them around in my head, roll them around in my heart. I'm to come to grips with them, right? I'm to embrace them. And any time then, any time that remaining sin or corruption seeks to exert its influence over me, any time that sin seeks to retake dominion over me, I am to assert these facts on the basis of all that I know and understand. And I am to say, I am dead indeed to sin. When assailed by temptations, I can say to the tempter, no. Right? I am not your slave any longer. And by the grace of God, and through the power, and through the strength of his spirit, we can flee that temptation. Refuse to obey it in its lusts. We can refuse. It's a matter of faith, and that faith based on facts. Do you see? But that's only half the battle, isn't it? It's only half the battle. On the same basis, I am to consider our Lord's resurrection. 
And I'm to consider my resurrection from the dead to walk in new life in union with him. I am to receive these things and all that they entail as true. And on the basis of faith, I am to render my judgment. I am alive to God in Christ Jesus, my Lord. And I am also to meditate on that fact. I am to ponder those things. I am to consider that the same power with which God has raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same power that is now at work in me through faith. And any time that remaining sin, any time that remaining corruption seeks to exert its influence over, over me, any time it seeks to reassert its dominion over me, I am to assert these glorious realities on the basis of all that I know, on the basis of all that I understand, and I am to believe as a matter of faith, I am alive to Christ Jesus our Lord, alive to God in him. And when assailed by temptations... I come to the Lord for strength and power in my time of need. I can express my own frailty. I can express my own weakness and depend upon him. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And I have the power to turn from sin. You see, this is a, this is a warfare that includes the exercise of faith. The exercise of faith. Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Trusting in the truth of God's revealed word, trusting in the promise of God's abounding grace toward us, trusting in the, the benefits secured for me by God's own son, trusting in the strength of God's indwelling spirit. It's not by our reckoning that these things become facts. It's not by our reckoning that we somehow make these things true of us, but it's because they are true of us. It is because they are indeed facts that we then have the ground on which we fight by faith. And apart from faith, your fight is futile. Your fight is fruitless. Martin Lloyd-Jones used an illustration and he talked about or compared the Christian life uh, to a man uh, climbing a hill, climbing a mountain. Uh, In the beginning, you're not climbing at all. You're walking in the mud of this earth, so to speak. But at some point, God in grace and mercy intervenes and he causes you to be born again by his spirit He gives you as as a gift of his grace. He gives you repentance and faith by which you believe and trust and commit yourself to following him and you start the climb. You start the climb, right? Well, as you start the climb, you're not free from this body of death yet. You've been changed. You've been given a new nature. Your affections have changed. Your desires have changed. Your imaginations have changed. Your hopes, your dreams, everything about you has changed. But you still have the body of this death, you still have the flesh to contend with, you still have indwelling sin, you still have remaining corruption, and God, in his wisdom, has determined for our good and for his glory that it should be so. Nevertheless, you have started the climb. You started the climb. It's a new believer coming into an understanding of these things. You may not climb so good at first, (laughs) It may feel like it at first. You you take your first step upward uh, only to be knocked back down uh, by sin, uh, by the fight, by the warfare. You realize, you realize in the climb, this is going to be, this is going to be tough. This is not going to be floating to heaven on flowery beds of ease when brothers and sisters who went before us were carried to heaven on bloody seas. This is going to, be a, going to be a fight. This is going to be a fight. So you climb, and then you get knocked down by sin. You, you make some progress. You have some victory, and then your nose gets bloodied. But as you're climbing, you've got to realize, brother, you've got to realize, sister, that when you're knocked down, you're not, da- not knocked down to the bottom of the hill again. You don't fall all the way to the bottom, Right? You climb, you climb, you make progress. You don't roll all the way to the bottom every time you sin. Right? It feels like it. Often feels like it. 
But that's not the truth of you. There has been a definitive breach with sin. There is a new attitude toward sin. There's a new attitude toward holiness and righteousness. There's a new longing in your heart. There's a new hungering, a new thirsting after righteousness, right? There's a new desire to live pleasing to him who loved you and gave himself for you, right? And all of that truth, all that you've learned, the Lord is nudging you, pushing you up the hill. You think you're climbing on your own. You're not, right? The Lord is the one pushing you, pushing you up the hill. When you fall, when you fall, what do you do? By faith, you get right back on your feet, right back on your feet, and you keep climbing. You keep climbing. Fight and fight through faith, trusting in him. Don't get caught fighting in ignorance. Or fight, maybe a better word to use is stupidity. Right? Don't, don't get caught fighting stupid. Right? You know, the Lord is clear. The Bible is clear. And we have good instruction here from the Apostle Paul to tell us exactly what we're to do. Fight and exercise faith and fight. We can't simply stop at faith, though. We can't simply stop at what we know or what we believe to be true. We must exercise faith and fight. We must put forth effort. Let go and let God is not biblical in any form that that heretical theology takes. It's not biblical. The Christian life is not a passive Life. The Christian life is a battle. The Christian life is not a life merely resting in reliance upon Jesus. How many times do we hear this? The Christian life is not merely a passive life of resting alone on Jesus Christ. We can rest in the Lord Jesus Christ because he has saved us apart from our own works for salvation. But once he has saved us, the work begins, right? We were saved by grace you have been saved, right? Through faith, that not of yourselves, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for resting in reliance upon him. For good works, which he has declared beforehand that we should walk in them, okay? We must put faith to work in our battle with remaining sin. Listen to Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Listen, verse 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Now he's comparing the Christian life to a race. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Well, the way that I run is by resting. No. Everyone, verse 25, everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, Paul says, I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus, I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. You think that's an easy thing? <laughs> no. Anyone who's attempted the Christian life, who's lived the Christian life for any length of time, knows that is a fight. That is a battle. I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Well, what does that fight look like? What does it look like? Paul, again, he states the matter negatively and he states the matter positively. First, there is the fight against sin. Stated negatively, there is the fight against sin. Verse 12, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. And verse 13, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. Second, there is the fight for holiness, stated positively now, right? This is explaining the fight. What does the fight look like? It's against sin. It is for holiness, verse 13. But rather, 
present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and, verse 13, present your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Now, by describing the Christian's response to God's word in this way, Paul is asserting that the Christian life, a life of faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, is a life of warfare with sin, is a life of resistance to sin. There is no biblical room for passivity. You have to do this, okay? Paul is charging us now to do this. Remaining corruption, indwelling sin, continues to exert influence in the life of one who has been justified by faith. Remaining sin continues to exert its influence. And it is the responsibility of every Christian to restrain that ungodly influence through the fight of faith. James chapter 4, verse 7, listen. Therefore, again in light of glorious truth, therefore submit yourselves to God. That's active. That's active. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's active. And notice the promise. Resist him and he will flee from you. (laughs) That's a promise of God that you can claim through faith, right? Draw near to God. That's active. Notice the promise. He'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, active. Purify your hearts, you double-minded, active. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Active, active, active. Do you see? And notice the promise. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. It's through the temptations that Satan has wrought in this world It's through those temptations that Satan exploits the remaining corruption that lies within your members. It's through what Satan has done in this world that through those temptations, he exploits you. He exploits the remaining corruption, that remaining sin that dwells within your flesh. He exploits that remaining corruption to lead you down the path to sin. You see how those things are connected, right? The world, the flesh, and the devil are three enemies. So the Christian life then must be a life marked by resistance to temptation. Exercise faith and fight. We see that corruption described in Romans chapter 7. Look at the next chapter. We're going to get there eventually. Romans chapter 7. Look at verse 21. Verse 21. Paul, Paul speaking of the experiential aspect of exactly what he's talking about here in Romans chapter 6. Right? Those, those that would say that Romans chapter 7 is unconverted Paul, man, they do damage to this text. And they, they really, that's damaging for the Christian. Right? We need to understand what Rome, we're going to, understand what Romans is clearly teaching. This is Paul living his Christian life embattled according to all that he's taught in Romans chapter 6. And this is what it looks like, verse 21. Paul says, I find then a law. And by that law, he means principle, right? He means a principle. I find a, a principle that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. There's this principle in me. I will to do good, and yet I find this, this evil present with me. Four, verse 22, I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another principle in my members, in my flesh, in my faculties, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh. Paul must concede with the flesh. The flesh serves the law of sin. Romans chapter 8, Paul speaks about us groaning as we await the redemption of our physical bodies. This is not Paul as an unconverted person. This is Paul's experience of Romans chapter 6. So our ongoing fight against sin involves an active or ongoing effort. 
And if you're not putting forth an active or ongoing effort, then you are actively in an ongoing way failing, (laughs) getting beat about the head and shoulders and you don't realize it. That active and ongoing effort, now our old man crucified, now that effort motivated and driven by a heart and mind and a will that has been set free from the dominion and power of sin, right? And you've got God's spirit indwelling you. Verse 12 then, so do not let, do not permit, do not allow sin to exert its power in your mortal body. It should be very encouraging to you and I that it's mortal because that means the fight will not last forever, right? That fight will die with your mortal body, praise God. But while in this mortal tent, Sin will be seeking dominion through your flesh. You need to understand that. While in this flesh, sin will be seeking dominion through your members. Sin turns the natural instincts of the body into lusts. Sin turns the natural desires, the natural instincts of the body into inordinate affections. And we must restrain sin from doing that. We must restrain our bodies from doing that, lest we obey it in its lusts. How do we know that sin is taking natural instincts or desires and turning them into lusts or inordinate affections? How do we know? Because we crave something that's unlawful. We crave something, want something that's unlawful. Or we're willing to do unlawful things to get something that we crave or desire, right? That's stated negatively, verse 12, positively, and, or negatively, the second half of that, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. Don't do it. Do not present the body, the parts of your body, right? Uh, Do not present the faculties of your flesh as a means by which you sin. Close the eye gate. Close the ear gate, right? Do not present your eyes, as instruments of unrighteousness, to sin with them. Do not present your hands. Do not present your feet. Do not present your ears, the members of your body. But also, listen, don't present your mind. Don't present your heart. Don't present your will. Don't present your emotions or your affections or your imaginations. Don't present your faculties. What are we to do? Faced with temptation to sin, we are to reckon or consider ourselves to be dead indeed to sin. The word reckon involves taking certain facts into consideration, right? It involves making a calculation and then coming to a sound judgment concerning those facts. Sound familiar? We are to consider our Lord's death to sin on our behalf, and we are to consider our death to sin in union with him. We are to receive these things as true, and on the basis of those glorious truths, we are to render our judgment. I am dead indeed to sin. I am to meditate on those truths as a matter of faith. I'm to ponder them in my head. I'm to seek to understand them. I'm to embrace them through faith. And any time the remaining sinner corruption seeks to influence its exert or exert its influence over me, any time that sin seeks to reassert its dominion over me, I am to assert this fact on the basis of all that I know, on the basis of all that I understand, and I am to assert I am dead indeed to sin. When assailed by temptations, I can say to the tempter, no, I am not your slave any longer. And by the grace of God, through the power and the strength of his spirit, I can flee temptation and refuse to obey it in its lusts. I am not to present the members or faculties of my body as servants of Satan or servants of sin any longer. But again, that's only half the battle, isn't it? It's only half the battle. There's not only the fight against sin, there must also be the fight for holiness. There must be effort applied through which I present myself, not as a slave to sin, but as a slave of Jesus Christ. So how are we to to fight against sin? What is the means by which we wage warfare against remaining corruption? It must be the pursuit of holiness through faith. How do you fight pursue holiness? How do you fight temptation? Fight sin. 
resist, refuse to obey it in its lusts. You pursue holiness. You fight for holiness. Stated positively, verse 13, but rather, much contained in that little word, but, that sets up the contrast here, right? Do not present the members of your body, the faculties faculties of your body as instruments or means of unrighteousness to sin, but rather than doing that, do this. Present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Paul describes the action that must be taken in the place of a response to sin, right? In other words, the battle can't be merely mental, the battle's not merely mental. There must be action taken. With Paul, discipline your body. Discipline your faculties. Bring them into subjection. You were bought with a price. Therefore, your body is not your own. Those are not your hands. Those are not your eyes. Those are not your ears. Those are not your feet. They are not yours to use in the indulgence of your own sinful lusts. They belong to another master. And pursue holiness. Pursue righteousness. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, describes our response. Listen to this, Romans 12, 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, again, after all of this theology, right, all the way to Romans chapter 12, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. You see the the contrast between the two. Don't conform your actions, your conduct, your thinking, your will, your emotions, your desires. Don't be conformed to this world right? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see? Pursue holiness. Pursue knowledge. Pursue and accord with these glorious truths. Embrace them by faith, right? Pursue righteousness. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For those who will obey this charge, for those who will exercise faith in Christ, trusting in the revealed word of God, and then fight the remaining corruption in your flesh through the pursuit of righteousness in sacrificial service to God as your new master. For those who will obey Paul's charge in this text, you have the promise of God on which you can stand. Verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. There is no sin that is too powerful. There is no temptation that is too enticing that you cannot refuse by faith and in the strength of God's spirit. Who do you think you are? And what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do as sin continues to seek dominion over you? What will you do as sin continues to strive to exert its influence over you? Will you fight? You've been set free. Will you fight to enforce your freedom? (laughs) Do not use your freedom as a cloak for vice. The Lord in grace and mercy to us has given you the means to do it, the means to fight, armed with truth, armed with truth, strengthened with power by his spirit, so exercise faith and fight. Learn of the Lord Jesus Christ. Stop allowing yourself to entertain for a moment that our diligent study of God's word and the subsequent understanding that the Lord allows us through it doesn't have anything to do with how you live or the sin that you commit against him. Fill your mind. Fill your heart. Fill your understanding with wisdom from his word and let it, by his spirit, grow and mature and fuel and motivate your faith. 
No skipping leg day. Right? <laughs> and then consider how all of that glorious, wonderful, beautiful, revealed truth applies to you personally based upon what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you, based upon God's grace to you, his mercy toward you, his loving kindness towards you. And consider then who you are in relationship to him, who you are in relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ, your relationship to the spirit of God, and exercise faith and fight, right? Fight, the good fight of faith. Wage holy warfare. God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, has won the victory for us. We've been given the responsibilities, brothers and sisters, to live in light of that victory. Amen? Amen. Pray with me. Father in heaven, Lord, we are in awe, Lord, of all that you've done. wisdom and the magnificence of the riches and the depth of our salvation in Jesus Christ is beyond our imagination, beyond our comprehension, astounding and amazing. We will will live glorying in and reveling in these truths for all eternity, praising you for them worshiping you for them, rejoicing in you for them. I pray, Lord, that uh, all that you have graciously revealed to us in your word, that we would uh, take it to heart, trust you, that these truths are the foundation on which we are to believe you, trust you, that the foundation on which we are to live by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, and may they become the foundation on which we then fight to resist remaining sin and remaining corruption, that they would fuel our battle, motivate uh, our battle. They would cause us to hunger and thirst for righteousness as we seek to present ourselves as living sacrifices. We love you, Lord. We thank you uh, for the power, the will, the motivation, the comes through work of your spirit within us. We pray that through faith and dependence upon your spirit, that for your glory, Lord, we might be fruitful and victorious in this battle. Help us, Lord, mature us, grow us, continue to conform us into the image of your son, separating us from the presence of sin in our lives, Lord. And I pray that you would use these means to do that work in us and encourage us, Lord, through faith. Encourage us in the battle. Is anyone here today, Lord, struggling, fighting? I pray that you'd give them victory. Lord, encourage them in the promises that you've given. Encourage us in these great and glorious promises. And may we be found walking worthy of the calling with which you have called us for your glory, for the praise and exaltation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Spirit of God, for your work within us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen.